So, um, Summer said I'm having an deployment party, and that's because I'm getting deployed um, with the National Guard, uh, Army National Guard. Um, not to get confused with the Air Force, sorry, Jerry Kasten. Um, uh, I'm going with a unit um, from Detroit, uh, which has brought a whole lot of issues I never expected. Um, compared to up here. Um, it was easy, easy, easy up here, and there it's just a whole other way of doing things, which you get to hear about today a little bit. Um, I, uh, I'm not going to say where I'm going, um, because we're not actually there. <laughs> um, but uh, in, Pastor asked me to share this. Lou Engel was up here in what, February 2011? Something like that. Lou Engel is a guy who is a pretty prominent um, speaker, and he came to visit us one, uh, one weekend, and uh, right when he was, is that time frame when he was here, I had this uh, dream that I was near this biblical valley of, of acres, what it's called, um, and I didn't know where that was at, um, but I had this dream where I was standing in an army uniform, uh, looking over a bunch of soldiers, and, um, and I knew I was within 100 miles of this valley, which is really weird because at the time I wasn't in the army. Um, and uh, with that, I will be within 100 miles of the Valley of Acre um, here in a couple months. So um, God's funny like that sometimes. And um, I'm excited. It's, it's a really good opportunity. I'm a chaplain uh, in the army, so it's... it's um. That's a little bit better. <clears throat> um, so I'm a chaplain in the Army, and it allows me to um, uh, bring God to soldiers and soldiers to God. That's my first uh, duty, along with some other stuff after that. Um, and and um, there's other den denominations, but also uh, faiths uh, in the chaplain corps, but there's only one true faith, and that is faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that's who I bring to them and bring them to. Um, I just get to be... Um, a conduit for that. So, I'm going to pray, and then uh, I'm not going to preach for an hour, Kurt, but uh, it'll be about 59 minutes, no. All right. <laughs> Father God, thank you for this church. Um, thank you for letting me be a part of it for the past five years for the second time around. Um, and uh, I just, uh, just ask that you to speak today to our hearts and, um, and just take care, of, take care of business within us. Uh, we love you, Lord, and just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I found this book yesterday that I, I, um, I guess, lost or just kind of misplaced, didn't really think about. It's called Hind's Feet in High Places. And uh, the, the first opening line of the book is, Is the Lord maketh my feet like Hind's feet, and setteth, uh, setteth me upon uh, mine high places. Uh, that's Psalm 1833 in Habakkuk 3.19. That has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm talking about today. Um, but I read that this morning, and I'm like, that's got to be for someone, so just put that in your back pocket. <clears throat> All right. So Jesus came to redeem. He came to reclaim what was his and to buy back uh, what is ultimately his. He came to buy our souls from hell and rescue them as his. And we will go to hell because of sin. But we are brought back into relationship with God only through Christ and him alone. Satan messes with us in every way that he can. 
Jesus tells us in John 10.10 that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that you may have life and have it to the full. The thief is, is, is Satan. So this life, life is uh, tricky sometimes. And, and we would all like a full life, right? But what is a full life? Jesus didn't just come to reclaim what was his, but to bring us to life. And that's life in him. And life that is not anything like we deserve, uh, think it will be or hope it will be. It is all so much more. It, it, it's deeper, it's richer, but it's redemptive. And true, rich life is coming back into relationship with God. In 2009, I had something happen in front of me that, uh, that was really, really sad and really, really hard. And, and that's something that, that affected me with, with power for years. Mentally, it affected me. Um, and it, it's something that, that I dreamed about um, for two years, multiple times a week. Uh, reliving that same scenario over and over and over. Um, and, and I was helpless in that dream as I was helpless in reality. And there was nothing I could do to undo what had been done. And I sought a lot of wisdom and counsel on that because it was really affecting my life. And, and then just one night that dream stopped. And God did something different in it. And he touched my life just prior to that. And I always wondered why that had happened and, and why those dreams and, and, and the why of everything about that whole scenario of, of what happened that night. And why God would allow those kinds of circumstances to happen in our lives. And why did it continue to happen over and over and over again in my head, especially when I couldn't sleep and couldn't even like change my mind off of it. Then a few weeks, weeks ago, I learned why. We all forgot that next week was home group week. And so I was going to get prayed for next week. And then pastor told me, oh, it's this week. And then you're going to preach too. And I'm like, holy cow, this is going to be emotional. But I'm glad it, it all kind of happened because I got to explain a little bit of what I get to do as a chaplain. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, um, one of my soldiers came up to me and says, hey, chap, can I talk to you? I said, absolutely. I said, let's take a walk because it's really awkward sitting in a chair staring at someone when they have something to talk about. So we walked and talked and, and, and talked about the niceties of life and, and all of that stuff and those really shallow conversations. And, and finally, I just stopped and I said, what is going on, man? Because most of the time, those, these guys don't want to come and talk to me just for the sake of talking. Um, they have their buddies for that. And, and I had never met this soldier before, and, and they usually don't want to just chit-chat but, but have a purpose in seeking out a chaplain no matter who the chaplain is. And so he told me. He told me that he has been having this repetitive dream uh, of his best friend dying in his arms. And I thought that was interesting and, and dug a little bit further. And, and it turned out that it actually happened a couple weeks before that, or a couple months before that. This kid lives in Detroit. Um, and have you guys seen those, is it memes or memes? 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 Of like Syria and Iraq, but it's actually Detroit? Have you seen those? Yeah. Okay, that's where he lives. Like, literally. That's where our, 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 our uh, um, armory is at. I couldn't believe it. When the, the first time I drove down there, it was just, it was shaking. So he lives in that Detroit. He lives in that reality. And he told me that he was at an annual barbecue in a, in a basketball game um, one day. And, and they were playing. And all of a sudden, these two guys get out of this car and start shooting at his, his best friend. 
that he was standing right next to. And he's like, he said something, he said something and told me to just start running away from it. He said, so I did. And then it told me to get down on the ground. So I did. And then it told me to get back up and go back to my friends. So I did. And he said, that was the Holy Spirit. I said, you're right. <laughs> and so he goes back to his friend and grabs him, and he's bleeding out because he was shot like seven times. And he grabs his friend, and he holds him in his arms. And he's yelling for people to help and all that, and he's trying to stop this guy's bleeding because he does have some training in that kind of stuff. And, and his friend looks at him in the eyes, takes a big, deep breath in, and then, and died. He's 23 years old, and his best friend just died in his arms. What the heck am I supposed to do with that, Lord? What am I supposed to say to this kid to comfort him through that? And he's reliving it every single night. How would you respond to that? I didn't know what the heck to do. I'm trained to do it. Come on. He went on to tell me that that dream had been reoccurring. The dream of him being helpless and unable to save his friend's life. Usually, like, these soldiers will come and talk to me, and they're just doing stupid stuff. You know, I cheated on my girlfriend. Well, you're an idiot. Don't do that anymore. You know, you can give them some kind of canned advice. And then you can get into the real stuff. But this was new. And so I asked him some more questions, and I wasn't listening to him. I was praying because I'm like, Lord, I need your help on this one more than ever. And then the Lord brought up that dream that I had and the experience that I had and what he did in it and did through it and how he redeemed it for that moment in time. And then it all clicked. Then it got really awkward because I got really excited. And I was started smiling and just kind of bouncing around. And, and he looked at me kind of weird. <laughs> so I said, I told him, I said, hey, man, I said, I said, first of all, you're not nuts. He's like, how do you know that? I said, well, because I lived through the same kind of thing. And uh, I gave him a portion of my testimony uh, of, of how the Lord moved through the dream that I had and the scenario surrounding it and how that circumstance was meant to bring hope to him in that moment. And I prayed for him, and, and we both kind of got choked up and cried a little bit together and then finished our walk and and moved on with life. And God takes our history and remakes it into something useful, beneficial, and ultimately holy. That moment that that guy and I had was holy. Because God was in it. He was there. Despite the circumstance, despite everything that happened, despite evil trying to come against both, both in my circumstance and his, God came there and made that moment holy. He made a moment that turned to years of replayed violence into a holy moment. And he did that for me, and he did it in the past, and he will continue, continue to do it for anyone who reaches out for him. But it's not just for those moments that are way more difficult than we can handle. He desires to renew it all, to renew every aspect of our lives. It's not just about those huge things that, that are earth-shattering in each of our lives, but he wants to do it even in the smallest of things. And we all have those experiences that are negative. It could be a bad day at work. It could be something that's just beyond comprehension. And, and we have those experiences that are intended to steal, kill, or destroy us. 
And we have garbage in our lives that steal our joy and kill our dreams and destroy and erode our trust in God as a good father and a mighty savior. But they attempt to. But it's our response to God's grace that allows us to not have that happen. And they all look different. My story's not the same as yours. It's not better than yours, and yours isn't better than mine. It's just our lives. And we all have those things, but are we inviting him into them? Are we asking God to come in and redeem and renew our minds uh, when we are awake, let alone as we sleep? Are we asking him to reclaim what is rightfully his and ultimately ours as we share with him in his glory, which is all that stuff that Satan tries to steal? And if we do not know Christ personally, if we have not given him our lives and laid down our lives and our desires for his, are we willing to take a a look at that approach to life and and life with him and life being turned over to him and and life being made free of, uh, of the junk that kills us little by little, steals from us little by little, and destroys any hope of being redeemed by our creator and remade back into what he originally designed us for? So I want to take a look at, at, at Peter's life uh, and a couple of the stories where he came from and how the enemy desired to mess with him uh, and destroy him and even more importantly, destroy the, the establishing of, of faith in Christ um, and the restoration of, of experiences. See, Peter was, was a guy who was set up for something huge. Um, Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter because Peter means rock, and Jesus said, I'm going to, on this rock, I'll build my church. That's a big deal. It didn't start out that way. He's just a fisherman. So Luke 5. So there's three stories. I'm going to read them. Um, and I'll interject in between. Luke 5. Uh, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, uh, talking about Jesus to hear the word, uh, Jesus was standing on the lake of... I can't even say that because it's in another language. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out, uh, uh, out of them and, and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a, a little bit from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had fish, finished speaking, uh, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, uh, we'll do it. So when they when they done this, um, uh, they enclosed a large number of fish, and, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help, and, and they came and filled both the boats. So they began so much so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus, saying, "Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were also uh, disciples, eventually. Uh, who were partners with, with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. You will be fishers of men. And when they had brought their, their, their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Could you, like, could you imagine like being Peter? I've worked all night and caught nothing. Now you want me to throw my net over the other side of the boat and catch some fish. Dude. I've been fishing these waters forever. I know where all the spots are. Nothing's biting today. But because of who you are, we can see that he called him master. I'll do it. Because Jesus had a reputation. He had a reputation of being something more than just some dude who's, who's preaching. 
But at that moment, Jesus did something phenomenal that, that changed all of history, let alone Peter's own history. Have you guys seen the Bible series on TV, on, I think on a and that, that one episode where, where Jesus goes and talks to Peter, he's just like lounging in the boat and just swirls his fingers like he's swirling a drink or something. And, and then the fish come in, and it's just kind of cool. It's just, it's just a different way of looking at it. I didn't expect him, like, powerful thing. And Jesus is eh, just doing something nice and light. Um, but I thought that was interesting because Jesus did it quietly, and, and, but with an intense purpose to prove who he was despite their desire at that moment for their life to be easy. They were tired. They didn't want to work anymore. I don't want to get any fish. I want to go home. But these guys, they gave up hope to a point. Hope for food for their families. Hope for a little money in the bank, whatever their bank would be. And, and just, they were just frustrated. But Jesus came onto the scene and asked for them to do, to do just one more thing. So he could show them his character, his goodness, and how he chooses to redeem even a mediocre day at work. If we allow him in. Because of who you are, I'll let you do this. I'll do one more thing for you. And Peter says that, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Peter knew what was up. He knew that that he was in the midst of something. He knew that he lacked a faith and a hope in what Jesus was up to. And he wasn't good enough for this, but Jesus redeemed that moment in time. And he knew, he, he redeemed that bad day at work because Peter was willing to do something out of the ordinary. Something even foolish, all because Christ asked him to. The story shows that Peter's not a, really a lazy guy, but he's willing to take a risk. And also a man who's not afraid to be humbled. But also he was set up for something incredible, something that was God-breathed. The second story in Luke 22 is, is Peter's denial of Christ. Peter denied Jesus, who Jesus was, three times to different people before Jesus died. And Jesus let him know that that was going to happen before that actually happened, which is crazy. So he says, Simon, Simon, uh, Satan has asked to sift each one of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented uh, and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow, you'll deny me three times that you even deny three times that you even know me. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to strip you down. He wants to wreck you. He wants to take you out, and he wants to hurt you. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that you were born to do. But I have pleaded in prayer for you. I spent time crying out for you, and I've come to redeem you in what you are about to do, even if it is denying me in front of people who need me. How many of us are like Peter? We can get worked up into an emotional frenzy and, and, and promise things that we will do for God um, and, and mean things with all the passion in the world, but then reality hits and we miss the mark and we get scared. So often, like, amazing things happen on Sunday morning and then Monday morning comes and I have to go to work and it's just like, oh, back to normal. Why? Because normal's comfortable and easy. We deny the reality uh, of Christ for the reality of comfort. 
for the uh, reality of, of temporary ease. Because in the same cases as it was for Peter, how often do we believe that it is easier to deny Christ who redeemed us to be and to deny who he is, it's easier to just keep going with life, regular life, than it is to live in a way and talk in a way and follow him in that way. When we move toward Christ's redemption, Christ's redemption, hell comes at us even stronger, which is scary. So Jesus was really honest with Peter. He said, hey man, let me just, let me just drop some knowledge on you for a second. You aren't as tough as you think you are. When the time comes, you're going to deny me. You've seen all these really cool things that I've done, but you will reject me in front of everyone. That's the reality of it. Talk about, like, taking the wind out of your sails. I really don't, I need my notes, but I need to not have this in my hand. It's really weird. It's different. All right, anyway, tangent. Um, Talk about taking the wind out of your sails and the, the reality of those words. And I think my thought would be, Jesus, do you know who I am? Like, I've seen all this stuff you've done, Lord. Like, we're good. We're solid. I'm not going to deny you. A little bit of pride. And Jesus knows that about us. He knows us more than we can imagine, yet loves us in spite of that. And he loves us through our failings. And he loves us through how we hurt him. And he loves us through our sin. And he loves us through any circumstance that we bring on ourselves or any circumstance that comes upon us that isn't holy. And he can move within all of those things. What would you do in that situation? And what would your response be to Jesus? And how are we to be restored in that? But what is our investment in that? Christ put everything up already. But are we just willing to just receive it? The last one, last story of John 21, the restoration of Peter, which is the best part. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee. Those James and John guys from before, and two other disciples, one of them being John, who was uh, the one that Jesus was closest to. Simon Peter said, hey guys, I'm going fishing because there's nothing really else to do right now. And they thought that was a great idea, so they said, we'll come too. Um, so how, how, many, how many people is that? Some of the disciples. So one, besides Peter, one, two, three, four, five, six. Six guys, seven with Peter. Seven, funny. Um, I just realized that. So we'll come to you, and, and so they, they, they got out in the boat, and they, they caught nothing all night. Um, Dan and Banjo know all about that. Um, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the... <laughs> Sorry, buddy. At, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And, and he called out, he said, fellows, uh, have you caught any fish? And, and they, they, they said, no, we, we haven't. And he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. I wonder if Peter thought to himself, man, this feels like it happened before, but I can't really put my finger on it. A little deja vu moment. Then the dis- disciple that Jesus loved, who was John, said, said, Peter, it's, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that, 
It was Jesus. He put on his tunic because when they go fishing, I guess they pretty much go naked because he had all his clothes off before um, he had stripped for work, which is fishing. Uh, he jumped into the water and headed to the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled, it, pulled the load in, pulled the net to the shore for they were only about 100 yards from shore. Peter didn't care. He didn't care that, that they were only 100 yards from the shore with the biggest catch of his life. He needed to meet with Jesus. He needed to meet with, with God, and nothing would have gotten in his way at that moment. And he knew that Christ, what Christ had done for him personally, for how he redeemed Peter's life and story, and nothing was going to stop him from meeting with Jesus. This was the third time that Jesus appeared to these guys after he died. The third time. Peter denied him three times. This is the third time that this happened. Jesus restored him after that third time. Peter also denied him three times. So when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Jesus likes to cook, I guess. Uh, fishing, uh, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. That says that he was ready to meet with them, to be comfortable with them, to invite them in to something that's warm and hospitable and safe. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. Okay. There were seven guys total. Six of them had to get it into the boat and then row it in. Just remember that. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore by himself. He did what six men could do himself. There were 153 large fish, yet the net hadn't torn. Is that not impressive? Like, I, don't, I just got a kick out of that anyway. So Jesus said, now, now come and have breakfast. Jesus. So none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them bread and the fish. And this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. They didn't bother to ask who he was. They knew who their friend was. They knew who their Savior was. And they knew who their Redeemer was. There was no need to ask and no, there's no point to it. But they knew he was up to something, so they just shut up and listened because he made them breakfast and invited them in. So after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Jesus did this in front of the other guys. Just keep that in mind. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus said. And I wonder if this conversation happened throughout, like they got done eating and then it kind of happened throughout, you know, the moments after breakfast, not like three times in a row. You know, ask the question, conversation goes someplace else, and then ask the question again. Jesus asked him three times. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. A third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked this question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You knew that I was going to deny you. You knew that I was going to screw that up. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And he followed it up with this. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will, be, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to him to let him know by what kind of death he would, uh, he would 
have to glorify God, which ultimately was a crucifixion. And then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter's life just came full circle. Full circle in fishing. Full circle in being met by God. Full circle in the redemption of his story with Jesus. Redemption of hope for a future and redemption in failure. Peter didn't just go and live uh, this life of, of, of being a fisherman and doing a little church stuff here and there. He became the rock which Christ built his church on. Peter was the first pastor of the entire universal body of Christ. The Catholic church across the street, big Catholic church overall, says that Peter was the first pope. We'll agree with that. We'll agree with that for sure. That's a big deal. And he, didn't, he did it after denying the one who used him as that foundational piece. He did it with the knowledge of who he was. He did it knowing that a lot of others knew his story of denial. But he believed that Jesus was greater than his own mistakes. And he believed that Jesus' power over death was strong enough to save him too. He believed that God's grace was sufficient for him to overcome all that came at him. But the greater story than all, it's not Peter's faith that, that Jesus was going to take care of him, but of Christ's goodness toward Peter despite denying him. It's Christ redeeming Peter's life experiences to allow for his redemption story to be big, bold, and beautiful. God used something really ugly as something really foundational for the church. Could you imagine one of your best friends denying you when you needed him most? Yet saying, you know what, man? I'm going to use you to do something incredible for me and build one of the most important organizations in history. An organization that has stood the test of time because of God's protection, God's grace, and his desire to love the entire human race no matter what they look like, what they believe, or how ugly their lives are because all of our lives are ugly. The testimony of Peter proves that God can use anyone for anything at any time. This testimony is not any different than any of our own. It's not better or worse. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Peter went on to die a death on a cross. He died in, in, in what was the most unbearable way. He died in a way that was unimaginable, unimaginable, but he died a man who was made holy. You guys can come back up, Trev. Um, I, uh, okay. I, uh, I texted a friend of mine uh, who's a chaplain, um, and I said, hey, man, I said, here's the situation. And the conversation went to this. His grace is sufficient for us in all things, including when we have no idea what to say, do, or even think. Because God's grace is big enough for anything that can happen to us. And it's bigger than anything that we can do that separates us from him. And this re redemption story is birthed through the love of Christ, matured with the grace of God and sealed with the power of the Holy Spirit. And it changes lives. I don't know much about anything. 
I just know that Jesus saves. And that's what it comes down to. And that's what's the beauty of, of, of the Christian faith is that we don't have to do anything but receive and accept his love and forgiveness. And then we have to respond. So Peter jumped off that boat and he swam like he'd never swam before. 100 yards. If you ever swam 100 yards, that's a long ways. It doesn't seem like it. It's easy. But he swam with nothing that could stop him from doing it. There's a, a measure of faith that it goes when you jump out of that boat and start swimming toward the Lord. Whether it's, whether it's in here, Charlie mentioned it last, last week, of running up front or, or sitting up front and the importance of where God's meeting us or, or not, or just sitting. My friends, I just want to invite you to, if you need prayer this morning, swallow your pride. Walk up front and say, I need help. I need help from Christ. I need help with prayer. Through prayer, I need help from something. It's a measure of faith. It's stepping out. So uh, I'm just going to close in a word of prayer, and we're going to go back into worship. Father God, thank you. Um, thank you for a redemption story for each of us that we accept only through you. Thank you, Jesus, for living a life so that we could live. Lord, I just ask that you uh, just plant these seeds in our hearts and grow them in your time. And uh, we just love you, Lord. Thank you.